Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In today's episode, we discuss the key behaviors of great Scrum teams. I'm Steve Sanoff. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and I'm Santosh Kulatka. Hi, Santosh. Let's start by letting everyone know that in these podcasts, we'll be covering all aspects of business agility. Yes, uh, that's right, Steve. Uh, As we will discuss in the future episodes, the ultimate goal is that entire business uh, needs to be agile. So in that case, most of the companies uh, need to start introducing agile in the engineering organization so that that is where we'll focus what kind of activities they need to do in this episode today. Good. Thank you, Santosh. So today we'll be going through uh, a really nice checklist produced by uh, Henrik Nyberg. It's called the Unofficial Scrum Checklist. Uh, we definitely recommend that you take a look. It's a great way to evaluate whether you are agile or not. Yeah, and I think, you know, they organized it very well in the sense uh, it he has put together as to what is the bottom line? What are the three things if you need to look at? Are you there or are you being agile or not? Like, for example, are you delivering working tested software every four weeks or less, which is like a cadence from the Scrum point of view? Also, uh, are you prioritizing the needs of the business so that Whatever you are delivering is meaningful and valuable to the business. And the third thing is, uh, are you continuously improving? How are you managing to improve from one sprint to the next to the stack? So if these threes are three main areas are accomplished, you're on your way. Of course, there's a lot more detail behind that in terms of how do you achieve it. So the first thing would be, Um, Do you have a clearly defined product owner? The product owner has to be empowered to prioritize the work that's done, has to really be knowledgeable, understanding the domain, and has to act as a conduit between the stakeholders and the team to clearly tell them what's required. Yeah, a product owner is like a ringamel neck (laughs) because he or she is responsible for delivering value to the business. And uh, if you look at the next one, is like the team has a sprint backlog. Uh, unless yeah, it, it needs to be visible to everyone, uh, it needs to be updated. Otherwise, garbage in, garbage out. If that is not uh, updated, then uh, it doesn't mean anything or it doesn't have a, a value to the entire team. And also, uh, it is owned by the entire team, not just one person. One thing I will say is that uh, whenever you talk to somebody about are they doing Agile, the first thing they'll say is we have a daily meeting and they think that makes them Agile. But those (laughs) those meetings can be really uh, done terribly and and can be very ineffective. So it's very important that the whole team really participates and is focused on what's going on, not distracted. It's uh, good to to keep it short and, and productive. And the the thing that's really important is to bring up any uh, problems or impediments. So 
it makes no sense to just say in the last 24 hours I did this and then next 24 hours I'm going to do that. <laughs> that no, that's be... the other part. Yeah, it's like it's not a status meeting. It's basically uh, how what are you doing to accomplish the goal of the sprint or the business and what is stopping you from doing that? So I think that's the idea behind it. And the entire team jumps in. Yes, and the, the other aspect is just that there will always be dependencies between team members. So you want right. to notify people if you're going to be late with something you are going to deliver or you need something from somebody. And uh, I think the, I think somebody had asked me, you know, if you want to do only one thing in the entire uh, sprint, what would be that? And, you know, what I realized is if the demo doesn't happen, then there is no working software. So even if you don't have any plans or backlog or anything, you have to have a demo. So basically it shows that there is a working, tested and accepted software. And also you are getting a feedback directly from the PO and the stakeholders. So demo is absolutely essential to make sure that uh, working software is being delivered uh, on a regular basis. Correct. And that software really should be running in an integrated environment. Because Absolutely. remember that the software is supposed to be shippable. So having people run the software on their local PC and the code isn't even checked in is n proof of nothing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that, that I think we uh, always, uh, when I'm doing the uh, you know, agile coaching, I coach the teams is uh, let the PO run the demo at the end of the uh, sprint. That way, there is no ambiguity because you can gerrymander the things behind the scene if the testing or development person is running if the po is running that means it's almost like a uh, you know a proxy for the end user and i'll be controversial and say that there are also environments where the demo in a way is important but there are other ways of achieving the same objective for example if you are really releasing internally software that anybody can pick up and start using then that really proves that the software works correct correct i mean yeah that's the other part is you need to know who you are who you are building that piece of software and that's where the know your customer basically or know your user mm -hmm. uh the other important things that is you know how, how do you know you are done so definition of done is very important in the sense Everyone should know that, as you were alluding to earlier, the code is checked in. There are no P1, P2, P3 type or P1, P2 type of um, defects. Um, you know, all the automation is done, test cases are run, you know, those kinds of criteria. Unless those things are checked, then it is, and they're also integrated into the mainstream. Otherwise, it will not work. So... That, that definition of done understood by everyone, visible to everyone and agreed by everyone um, needs to be there. And then, of course, everybody knows about retrospectives, but not that many teams really do them properly. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, retrospective is, uh, comes out like a stepchild. Do you really have to do that kind of thing? And, we're, too, uh, we're too busy to improve. <laughs> and uh, other thing that we also noticed is yeah we go through this we should do this better but the same thing keeps on you know coming up every sprint that means we identify that but we don't do anything about it so it's 
what I've done in certain places is they create a story in the next sprint to address some of the items that were identified that this we should do better. Now the, there is a visibility as to are we doing this or not so that we don't find out at the end of the sprint, next sprint saying, oh, we didn't do it. We thought, talked about it. We didn't do anything about it. So I think that's uh, retrospectives really uh, continuous improvement and measuring whether we are uh, improving or not. And I guess the other tip is don't uh, bite off more than you can chew. So, you know, don't don't try and pick 10 things that you'll do in the next sprint. Pick one that is meaningful and you can commit to. Correct, correct. And, and, and you know, the, the teams get little more confident uh, as they go along and then say, yeah, we cannot actually do two things. Just let's focus on one. And and the other thing is, what did improve? You know, did we produce our software much better or not? What was the outcome of that change needs to be tracked also? Mm-hmm. So then, it, then the retrospective becomes more meaningful. Okay, let's talk about the product backlog. The uh, the important thing about the backlog is that it really captures all the work that needs to be done, and it's it has to be prioritized by business value. That doesn't mean that it's only features that need to be added. There may be business value in stopping for a while and fixing bugs or improving some technological infrastructure that can yeah. have business value too. But the important thing is it's prioritized. The team has really estimated the effort. It's not imposed on the team. The team is, you know, those are the people who know how much work is involved. Right. And the team needs to say that, yeah, we can fit this, uh, these number of stories or whatever those items are in that sprint so that they agree to that because it needs to happen in the beginning of the sprint. And as you were, you know, alluding to is that, um, it it almost like a say do ratio. What they said that they will do and they actually delivered, that is important. You know, not the velocity points, but actually what we promised and what we did actually delivered. So that's why that product backlog is quite important. Then it kind of goes without saying that you have to have sprint planning meetings, which is where the team is really committing to what's going to be done during the next uh, sprint. It's important that the whole team participates, including the product owner, who has to be there, even though the backlog is already being gone through and it's understood, but questions could still come up and the product owner needs to be there in case, um, for example, if the team says we really can't get to this item, we don't believe we can, the product owner may you know, still decide that they, something else is more important, even right. though it's supposedly prioritized. Yeah, and I think that also, you know, as we uh, talked about the pre-planning when the stories are introduced to the team, uh, sprint planning is actually confirming that the sizes are correct, all the unknowns have been clarified or at least outlined. And then the whole team needs to commit to the number of stories that they are going to be able to deliver because they have to own the delivery of those stories. So then we go into uh, our time boxed iteration. And of course, the the theory is it's four weeks or less. Most teams, I think, use a two-week uh, period. 
it's definitely not a good idea to have more than four weeks because at that point it takes too long to react. So right. it takes too long to have your retrospective and to improve and and deliver yeah. value. And and the other thing is, uh, you know, what we recommend is, and it is recommended, or the pra the practices, uh, best practices, uh, it comes out to two weeks is because um, suppose something shows up as a urgent thing that need to change the team can say can it wait till the next sprint and the maximum then they will have to wait is two weeks if the sprint becomes too large then suppose uh, uh, you know some some urgent change comes in uh, for two weeks maximum it will they will have to get to do uh, that delivered is four weeks because first sprint gets done and the next sprint gets introduced if it goes to three weeks it goes to six weeks out before that can be delivered. So all of a sudden, you added two more weeks or 50% more weight. And you know customers are not that happy when it takes longer cycle time to address their concerns. So two weeks works out the best because it's, I mean, it's been studied and everything else that uh, two weeks is a better uh, range than uh, three weeks or four weeks. Talking about the point you just raised, if a, something urgent comes in, it's also important that the team is protected and that they yeah. are given the time to finish that work and not disrupted by things that we're not committed to. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's what I always talk to a PO is that, uh, can it wait? And if it is absolutely cannot, then what are you going to give up? Yeah, because otherwise changing the scope mid-sprint can distract the team uh, and you know, the outcomes are not that great. Well, the final point in the checklist is that the team members sit together. That's obviously the perfect world scenario. It's very difficult in this day and age to have a team totally co-located. Co right. But I will say that it's a co-location of the mind that's really most important. So the teams at least should get together periodically, even if they can't work together all the time. Yeah. And it really helps if they are at least in more or less the same time zone and they can be on Skype or some other technology so that they can interact very freely. Correct. Correct. That's and and really... one, of, uh, one of the things that we recommended, I think, is uh, if they are geographically distributed, then at least for one or two sprints, in the beginning, they should work together. If you know budget budget allows it uh, to try or travel or whatever. But what we have seen is the teams who have worked one or two sprints together, even though afterwards they are working in a different geographic locations, um, things work as if because they know each other. They almost have developed a rapport uh, with each other. So even if they are away from, you know, they are not in the same place. Uh, that has helped a lot uh, for team to behave as a cohesive unit. Great. So once again, this was uh, Henrik Nyberg's unofficial Scrum checklist. We uh, both recommend highly that you uh, find it on the internet and read it. It's really, really well done. But that concludes today's episode. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one. All right. Bye-bye. See you next time.